0: There are many reasons a preacher doesn't preach a passage or a doctrine. There are many reasons why a preacher would skip over something in God's word. The preacher may be uncomfortable because he doesn't understand that doctrine completely. That's understandable. The preacher may be uncomfortable because he struggles in the area that that passage Addresses The preacher may be uncomfortable in preaching a doctrine or passage because he knows that it's going to make his hearers uncomfortable. Or, a preacher may be uncomfortable in teaching a passage or a doctrine because he knows that it will appear self-serving even if it is not intended to be self-serving at all. Nevertheless, I and my brother preachers are commanded and scriptural authors demonstrate a principle that should keep biblical preachers from avoiding texts. At least we find this as Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders at the end of his ministry. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I will admit, tonight's passage falls into this category of text that I would not have chosen to preach except we are going through Philippians and God put it there. So be it. God's word is God's word, and evidently Paul felt some discomfort in writing this, but he was blessed with God's spirit and God's intentional wisdom that needed to be communicated. Not only to the first century Philippians, but to the 21st century Santa Marians. You can give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. In this case, God gives to the Philippians, and then they rejoice to give because they love Paul. Because they love Paul's Savior. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Let's see if we find that in our text tonight, as we conclude Philippians, starting in verse 10 of chapter 4. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no, no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you have sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus." To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Tonight we will learn that in Christ, God's people rejoice at the gracious gifts of God and these gracious gifts result in at least two means of worshiping the Lord. The gracious gifts that God gives us result in at least two ways that we can return worship to the Lord whether we have what we consider plenty or whether we have what we consider to be little. Now the first way we will worship is by rejoicing in the Lord's provision. No matter how large or small that provision appears to us. And the second way we worship is by rejoicing to share the Lord's provision with those he placed near us. Especially our near ones who are of the faith. And I would add especially our near ones of the faith who have genuine need. Because... You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Now, let me preface as we come into our text, by saying this. I am humbled by many of you in this room. Many of you in this room have blessed me materially far beyond what I deserve. So, And I am well played by Grace Baptist. Please do not hear anything that I have to say tonight as a plea or as a condemnation. I am not doing either of those. I am merely doing my assigned task to preach a passage I was Asked by the Lord to preach. So, let's get into it. Rejoice in the Lord's provision. That's what I get from the first half of our passage, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every situation, circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, even if I need reading glasses to do it. In the first half of our passage tonight, I want us to find two very clear points. And we need to note that these clear points need to be understood, connected. They, they are part and parcel. They need to both be there. Both are necessary because we are sinners and finite. And because we are sinners and finite, we are thus prone to misunderstanding. So let's look at the first one. The first one, it is good for us to be concerned for others' needs. And giving material sustenance is crucial in expressing our love for our near ones because you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. But the second point is also necessary. It is also good to recognize that the Lord's provision remains sufficient. The Lord's provision remains sufficient no matter what your circumstances you find yourself in. Because God never promises an overabundance. And His overabundance always implies that you will be passing that on. Instead, God promises that we will have enough to glorify Him, even if that glorifying Him is accomplished by our death by starvation. Let's look at these in order. The first point, it is good for us to be concerned for others' needs. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul here recognizes, he tells the Philippians that he recognizes they are a loving and therefore giving congregation. Now, it's also true. They have lacked the opportunity to give up until then for whatever reason. I don't know what that reason is. But he affirms their love, and he wants them to see that he understands their position. Paul loves the Philippians, which he has demonstrated ever since chapter 1. And yet, Paul knows that if they are to be the loving congregation they are, they must give. Why? It's because you praise what you enjoy, you imitate what you admire, and you give to whatever it is that you love. If for no other reason, it matters whether you give your money, your time, and your talents, because that is in itself the expression of love. Praise is the expression of your enjoyment of someone or something. Imitation is your expression of your admiration for something. Giving of yourself is your expression of love to whomever it is you are loving at that moment. But I want to take a step back because this understanding of loving and giving and how they are related helps us to understand an analogy that James gives us in a passage many choose to ignore. James says in chapter 2, verse 15, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the needs needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is, Trust God's promises. Love gives to meet their beloved's needs based on what God has given us through his promises. Christians, therefore, are faithful givers. Now, many want to skim right over this passage and they want to mumble something about the fact that faith is opposed to works because that's what Paul says. Yet, it is Paul who makes this exact point. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, Paul says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And... God is able to make all grace to abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good works. Praise Jesus. Amen. Paul and James are not at odds. Now, it is true, works do not save us, faith saves us. And the distinguishing mark of saving faith is that it works. Saving faith trusts God's promises enough that it obeys God's command. Namely, in this case, by giving sacrificially to the ones who are near you, who are in need. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any needs? God will meet that need. He promises to do so multiple times in multiple places. Let me ask you another question. Does someone near you have a need? God will meet it. Very often, he will meet your near one's needs through the abundance that he has given to you. Because you can love, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Now, the great thing about being a faithful giver is that we get to rejoice in God working in us and through us. We are God's instruments that he uses to enable those who are near us to see him at work through us. Which, of course, is why we remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus' words? It is more blessed to give than receive. Now again, I have to say this time out. Many of you, I know, believe this. I've seen it. But my heart is often in need of reminder. Amen? I need to remember it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you believe this promise, then I challenge you, this week, find someone near you who needs to receive an encouragement. Or, flatly, who needs to receive something so that they can pay their bills this month. So that their faith may be strengthened as well. Now, we need to balance this truth with something else. While we must Remember that we must give if we are to love. We must also learn that God promises that we will have enough to glorify Him, even if that glorifying Him is accomplished through our starvation. Important point. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of need, Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, people often remember verse 13 at football games. They think Paul wants them to be able to score touchdowns. What it really means, though, is that through what we consider to be a lack, God provides. Did you hear that? Through, by means of, what we consider to be a lack, God provides. In vivid technicolor, Habakkuk makes this point that our starvation might be exactly what in fact glorifies God. Habakkuk 3.17 He ends his prophecy by saying, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. In other words, starvation. Though starvation... Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The Lord promises to provide everything we need to honor Him. Including complete lack. He does not promise us fruit or wine or oil or meat or job or household goods. Jesus promises that not a hair of our head will perish. What on earth does that mean? How do we reconcile Luke 21 with Habakkuk chapter 3? It means that even your death by starvation will not be a sacrifice so great that God cannot bless it, that God cannot use it to bring Him glory. My friends, you will not give up security or friends or money or time or stuff and lose in the bargain. You won't. You can't. God promises to make up for it. Because God, the personal creator king of the universe, is your strength, Habakkuk says, and you will tread, you will walk, catch this, in glory. And all the momentary light affliction of this day will be seen as nothing, dust that you brush off. That is what weight of glory means. And that is why you can trust what the author of the Hebrews says. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So that we can with confidence say, The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What? Can man do to me? Amen. If you're not going to say it. I'm going to say it. Amen. It is good to love. And to trust. And to give. Because man can ultimately do absolutely nothing to you. That God does not plan for your good. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is, my friends, the ultimate promise. That is the promise upon which all the rest of the promises find their nurturing sap. God's presence is with you even if you go to a concentration camp. God's presence is with you even if your child goes to a concentration camp. Oh, Lord, spare us. Jesus, come quickly. And because God's presence is available for all his children, we can rejoice in whatever it is that the Lord has given us, but we can also rejoice to share the Lord's provision. This is what we learn in the second half of our passage. Starting in verse 14, Paul writes, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Two more points we can learn from the second half of this passage. One is it is kind, it is good, it is godly, it is loving to give. To give generously, especially to those engaged in the gospel ministry, is one of the most Christian things we can do. And secondly, when we give, God rejoices. And when God rejoices in you, you can be sure that he is going to give to you. So that you can rejoice. And once again, we learned: God gives. We rejoice. So let's see this in our passage. It is kind. It is good. It is godly. It is loving to give. Starting in verse 14. Paul says, Yet it was kind for you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul expresses his gratitude for their assistance and help. He says, thank you. That's what this letter is ultimately all about. Now, unfortunately, such assistance is not common. It was not then, and Lord, help us It probably isn't as common as it ought to be today. And your near ones will recognize in you Jesus Christ himself when you are meeting needs of those near you. When they see us to be generous givers as opposed to the hoarders all around us, they will know that we have been with Christ And this instruction is important to give to readers. We must hear it, even if we don't want to hear it. But Paul realizes that this instruction can be misunderstood, and that's why he gives us his second point. When we give, God rejoices. And when God rejoices, you can be sure that God will give again so that we can rejoice. He says this in verse 18, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, he's making this very personal, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to catch something here. Not an easy teaching to give because it's easily misunderstood. Paul isn't as interested in the money he is getting from the Philippians as he is interested in the blessing God is going to give his people for giving it. Now listen, Paul was in need. I'm sure he was happy to receive the money. We're not denying that by saying this here. Thank you for meeting my need. Thank you for being God's means by which this need can be fulfilled. Praise Jesus. This this is an important part of this teaching. But whatever benefit the money had for Paul, I'm certain as I said that that pleased him, the real pleasure Paul had was that he could give glory to God for God blessing the Philippians. And that's why he was able to say, I've received full payment. I've got it. Thank you. The gift that you sent through Papadias, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. But those who have read God's word have known. For millennia that God was this kind of God. Proverbs makes this clear. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. God will repay the generous one for his deed. Hmm. Proverbs 11.24 One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. God is a debtor to no one. God is a debtor to no one. You give, he will pay you back. (laughs) Listen, that's amazing. That's amazing that God considers it his responsibility to pay you back for giving to someone else. The gifts that the Philippians gave through Epaphroditus was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Praise Jesus. Now listen, you don't need to give temple sacrifices. In fact, I tell you what, if someone asks you to offer a bloody sacrifice at a temple, I encourage you in strongest words possible, don't do it. But let me ask you a question. Are God's people today to be less sacrificial in our giving than God's people were before Christ? We who have witnessed God's gracious provision of His Son are to offer less back to Him than those who came before? That seems counterintuitive to me. Our sacrifices according to this are to provide for the needs of our near ones that God is put pro- in our path. And what happens when we so give? God rejoices to supply our needs. You know what? You give, you're going to have needs. You give and you're going to have needs because you're going to have to pay for your stuff. God rejoices to supply the needs of those who trust in him. Now, if you're looking for investment advice, if you're looking for an investment scheme to get the biggest bang for your buck, you don't want Wall Street on your side. Wall Street is fickle. It turns up and down, up and down. Some of you know that better than I do. You want golden streets on your side. You want the honor of heaven to be at stake so that God will come and bless you. Because he has put himself on the table saying, I will meet your needs. And here, precisely here, is where worship comes into the equation. According to this, what we see is that giving to our near ones is worship. It's like temple sacrifices in the Old Covenant. God considers it a personal favor to him when we give to those near us who are in need, especially our brothers and sisters. Do you want to worship Jesus? Find someone in need of encouragement or financial help and meet that need. Do you want to worship Jesus? Give, because when God gives back, we rejoice. Now, time out here just for a second. We have been speaking mostly about financial giving because that's exactly what Paul is talking about. But we have said over and over over the past 13 years that we give our time, our talent, and our treasures. We give our time, our talent, and our treasures. You may be thinking to yourself, Greg, you don't know what it's like to live on Social Security. Praise Jesus, I don't yet. Actually, I think by the time I'm 65, there won't be Social Security, but that's another question. I I do. I get that. I'm not saying that giving your money is the only way to give. Time. Time is actually I have found to be more important in many cases. Encouragement, a listening ear, your talents. Some of you are far better than I am at a good many things and I need that encouragement from you. Time, talent, and treasure. Don't discount the other two just because they're not cash. Time back in. With that, Paul brings his thank you letter to the Philippians to a close. Fitting. His whole letter was an expression of this thanksgiving because they had given him money. His whole letter was an expression of this thanksgiving by returning, by the way, not money, his time and his talent by writing for them a portion of the living word of God. Now, Yeah, okay, who can compete with that, right? But the point is, is that he then closes his letter with what was for him a very customary, but no less heartfelt closing. Verses 21 to 23. Paul writes, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you your spirit paul wants the philippians to continue walking in the blessing of their lord and so he once again greet every saint in christ jesus greet all of them all of the holy ones near you are your brothers and sisters and he re- he puts that into action he says the brothers who are with me greet you All the holy ones greet you, especially the holy ones of Caesar's household. Now, I can't wait to find out what's behind that phrase. What do you mean, Paul? Caesar's household? I don't know. Sounds like he met some of Caesar's household while he was in Rome, and they became Christians. I can't wait to find that out. But he wants to give them a final gift And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Listen. Paul is talking to you. You who are reading his word are the recipient of grace. You are the recipient of the power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes quite apart from anything you might deserve. The opposite of what? you deserve is this power that paul offers to you by the holy spirit this grace that is to go with you and pervade you in your spirit that which fills every nook and cranny of you may that grace may that power of god fill every nook and cranny of you in your body and in your mind So that in all that you do and say, in all of your attitudes and actions, you will breathe this power of God to accomplish kingdom purposes. And in this case, the application for this time is that you will be a giving, loving child of God. Because you can give without loving, but you cannot love. Without giving, And Lord, we come to you once again humbled because we cannot do this of our own. And we are in desperate need to have you meet us where we are. God, I pray that you would bless us by pointing out to us opportunities to give to those near us. And then give us the courage to give so that you will be glorified, your name will be honored, your kingdom will grow, and we will rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.